Church. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Brant. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor. I just want to take a moment to invite any of the high schoolers in the house or watching online uh, to join us tonight for a Bible study around the bonfire right back at our youth center. Um, if you're 6th through 12th grade, I'd invite you to join us on Wednesday nights uh, for our summer youth group, and that happens from 6 to 8 on Wednesday nights back at our youth center as well. We'd love to see you there. Uh, or you could also join us online. Uh, just click the church online button on our church website uh, for Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. Students can join us online right there as well. Question for you. How many of you guys have seen any one of the Rocky movies? Anyone seen a Rocky movie? Okay, I don't know what it is about Rocky movies. Uh, there's, it just does something to me. Uh, you know, the, Rocky, he, he goes through this intense amount of struggle. He's always the underdog in this boxing movie, and he's overcoming these enormous amounts of challenges, and, and he's, he enters into the ring, and there's some absolute monster who's about to tear his head off on the other side of the ring, and it just they're slugging it out for 15 rounds, and not only that, there's personal struggles and, and family crises that he's dealing with his entire life, and, and he comes from nowhere, the streets of Philadelphia, to become this international uh, hero, uh, this American hero around the world. Uh, Rocky overcomes all these struggles, and I watch these movies, and I don't know what it is, but there's something inside of me that wells up that is uh, incredibly... Uh, gives me absolute confidence that maybe someday I can, too, overcome absolute enormous challenges and become an, uh, a physical specimen like Rocky. Just like, hey, Adrian! Like, just walking down, and I'm just like, just come from the struggle. Like, started from the bottom, now I'm here. And uh, I, I kid you not, after watching Rocky movies, I have bought punching bag equipment. I have started overly optimistic workout regimens. I have made outlandish claims about the peak of my athletic ability, I don't, I don't know what it is about watching Rocky movies, but there's something inside of me that, that just desires to overcome a struggle. Somehow I think I can relate uh, to, to Rocky. I, you know, I really hope Google or Facebook never finds out about this because the second I start playing something on Amazon Prime, uh, I'm going to get ads on Facebook for punching bag equipment or a Peloton or something. I don't know. But uh, there's something inside of me that yearns to have victory after a struggle. I see, I see this incredible this struggle and this fight and this overwhelming victory that is, that, that's, you know, he's the underdog and he, and he still is a champion and something inside of me seems like I can overcome too. But even greater than the epic proportions that I watch on screen that are, you know, fabricated and, and tell a story of something that is felt to be real, but, it, you know, it's just a fictional story, uh, I, I, I look at these and... I go, man, there's something even greater, a greater struggle within every single follower of Jesus. It's a more difficult struggle, and it's a difficult struggle between the new heart and life that God has given you and the stubborn, sinful desires that still linger. You've been given a new heart and a new life, but you still struggle with sin, and it is something that is a, a waging war on the inside of you, there is a battlefield going on in between your ears, in the, in the mind and in the heart that resides within you. There is, a, there is a war being waged. And for some of you, you would have to admit you're not actually seeing a whole lot of victory lately, if, if at all. So, so here's the question. How 
do you finally defeat your stubborn and sinful desires and and finally experience the rejuvenated life that is made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit? How do you get to new levels in your relationship with Jesus that you've never reached yet? How do you get there? Well, if you stick around during this series, uh, you're going to be given keys from God's Word to unlock new levels in your relationship with Jesus, to, to defeat stubborn and evil desires inside of your own heart and live a rejuvenated life in the power of the Holy Spirit. But this will only happen if you receive what God is saying to you and then you choose to act immediately. Because the devil would want nothing more than to, to pluck the seeds of God's word right off of your heart, get you distracted with something else, uh, and, and, and you'll never experience the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin in your own life if you don't actually do something about it right away. In fact, I would posit to you that if that's the way that you're going to approach this series for the next few weeks, don't be surprised if you never reach new levels. You just hear and you don't do anything about it. See, this series, this, this group of messages about overcoming sin is really for the courageous and for the broken. For those who truly desire a closer relationship with God enough to act on what he says, even, even if it hurts, even if it makes you cry. So, how do you finally and def totally defeat your stubborn, sinful desires that are waging war inside of each one of you? This question, this painful struggle and reality, this daily struggle between living the rejuvenated life of the Spirit and, and struggling with the realities of sin, this is the struggle that the Apostle Paul felt when he penned the painfully transparent words of Romans chapter 7. If you have your Bible on your phone or you're holding it in your lap, uh, we, I'd invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. If you're following along online, you can click to the Bible tab, which is right next to the chat. Um, we're going to be reading Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 25 today. Romans 7, 14 to 25. If you're able, would you join me uh, in reading these words of God's word together? Romans 7, 14 to 25. Here we go. It says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind 
and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well done. You can sit down. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we aspire only to hear from you this morning. We're not here to hear a, uh, a well-crafted message. We're not here to uh, just get our, our, our musical fix. We're not here even just to check off a religious box. God, we truly want to meet with you, and we want to hear from you. And, and Lord, I pray that you would incline our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning, and then to do and act accordingly. Amen. Now, if you had trouble following what Paul was saying, you're probably not alone. This was a, yeah, there's, there's some laughs of agreement there. This is, this is not um, a typical way of speaking in English, but in, in the original Greek that Paul was writing in, Paul was being very uh, thorough to explain his case and then say it backwards, uh, say it the reverse order, and then say it again so that there was no doubt of what he was trying to explain. Describe, And I want to unpack that this morning, but before I get into all of what Paul was saying and the struggle that he was describing, uh, I would like to do a quick character sketch, so to speak, of the, the author of these words. Now, the Apostle Paul was a man, obviously, who had experienced a very dramatic conversion to this, this new sect of faith that he had been previously hunting and persecuting. And when he was met by Jesus on the way to literally imprison and hurt followers of Jesus, his life was very radically changed. He became a totally different person. But before that happened, and, and very much is the reason why he thought himself justified before God for persecuting Christians, before that happened, he was a super rigid follower of the rule of the Pharisees. In fact, he describes his, his, his experience and his... Uh, he had, he had amassed a sort of trophy case in his mind of all of the religious co- accomplishments he had experienced and he had, he had done for God, so to speak. He, he describes this in Philippians chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to have it on the screen, but I'll also read it out loud to you. He said, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence, confidence in the flesh, in other words, to boast about their things that they have done, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Right? Paul's basically saying, circumcised on the eighth day, set apart check, of the people of Israel, people of God check, of the tribe of Benjamin, tribal identity check, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, outstanding pedigree check, uh, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, immaculate devotion check, in regards to zeal, persecuting the church, no one goes harder than God. No one goes harder for God than me. Check, right? Uh, as for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. In other words, you can't touch me. Go ahead, try to try to tarnish my reputation before God, before man. I dare you. You can't do it. And he was so proud of himself that he could say this. Now get this. This is before Jesus. This is before Paul met Jesus. This is before he was regenerated. In other words, given a new life in Christ. Paul was a completely unregenerate man and was still making church people look bad. And he loved it. 
right? But now, as we read in our text this morning, we get this totally different sense, this totally different tone of voice coming from the pen of Paul. It's almost as if there's a, there's a new, new person inside of him. So let's go back to unpack this text. Verse 14, Paul says, um, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, I just want to stop right there, because right out of the gate, we get to a very tricky question. Can it be possible for a follower of Jesus, someone who has the Holy Spirit residing inside of them, to be sold as a slave to sin? That seems like a very striking image to paint if you're a follower of Jesus. There's plenty of discussion about this. And so it's very important to address this right away. Like, is this talking about Paul's experience as a believer, struggling with the realities of sin? Or is Paul talking about a time before he came to know Jesus? I, without, without getting into the exegetical weeds of everything, I, I want to put before you that the best interpretation of this passage is to conclude that Paul is describing the ongoing struggle against sin for the believer. And, and there's a number of reasons I believe this, but the first clue that points us to this is the, is the very first compound word that Paul uses. Uh, and in, in English, it's translated, for we know. For we know everything he's about to describe. In other words, there is a shared, common experience that we all are on the same page about, believers of the church of Rome. That's who he's writing to. We all know this now, in the middle of the current struggle with sin, we're all currently aware of this. For we know, in other words, he's saying that those who struggle against sin would also recognize that this, this fact that, that God's law is spiritual. We know that the law is spiritual. In other words, God's law is not an arbitrary set of rules just designed to control human behavior. The law is spiritual. It, it comes from God and, and as such is designed to reflect the, the holiness of God's character. It's, it's, it gives expression to who God is. So these readers, they are all aware of the fact that this law, it's spiritual. It comes from God. What, what unbeliever would, would agree with the fact that, man, the, the law of God actually does come from God? That's, that's a common shared knowledge of the believer that he's talking about. Therefore, interpretation favors the conclusion that Paul's speaking of his regenerate state. His, his life, filled with the Holy Spirit, still struggling against sin. And I think some of you would even say today that you really resonate with that claim. I know I, I certainly do. You, you yearn for something more in your life. You yearn for something that is beyond the boundaries of your current experience. That's, that's how you're wired. You yearn for something that's beyond you. And so when you're born again and you're given a new life in the Spirit, sin now becomes beyond the boundaries of what is acceptable for the believer. But somehow, you find yourself yearning for sin now more than you ever did before. Like this struggle that you have against sin, it was never off limits like it is now. And so somehow you're, you're wrestling with it more now than you ever did before you found Jesus. Or should I say before he found you. And now in this new life of of righteousness, of holiness, this new life that you're called to be set apart, sin somehow seems so much more appealing. So Paul goes on to say, I don't get it. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, that's what I'm doing. 
Don't you get this? Like, you, you, nobody is, is, is that simple. No, everyone is complex enough to say, there are multiple desires warring within me at any given moment. There are multiple desires that I have. I will to do this, and at the same time, I will to do the opposite thing, right? If I'm driving down the road, and I'm late for a meeting, my desire is to be there on time or early. So I desire to drive fast. But at the same time, I have a police car driving right behind me. And my desire is to drive slow. <laughs> at the same time, I want to drive fast, and I want to drive slow. Ah! What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. This whole business of making choices is very complex, and the complexity is intensified by the fact that we have multiple evil and good desires existing within us at the same time. This is why, this is why, this is why the secret of sanctification is to develop within our hearts a growing intensity of desire to please God, to be obedient to Jesus. See, the more that we know him, the more that we understand what he's like, the more that we fill our minds with the things of God, the more we begin to be like him. And when this is happening, the more that we have the mind of Christ, the more we begin to approve of the things of God and disapprove of the things that he disapproves of. So, so our, our hearts then become in line with where we're placing our minds. Come on. The heart will follow the head. Someone say that with me. The heart will follow the head. You can put that in the chat. The heart is going to follow your head. Put your mind to the things of Christ. Your heart is going to follow. Your desires are you going to follow. Your affections will follow. You are not what you feel like. You are where you decide to be. And so when you have put your mind on the things of Christ, that is where the secret of sanctification begins to show itself in your life. Paul's saying, like, I, 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 these desires are warring inside of me. What's going to happen? You, you can't rely on how you feel to determine where you're going to go. Paul says, I, if I do what I don't want to do, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is is good. In other words, though the, the new reality about me is different, I have a new identity, I'm still very capable of going back and forth between living like I'm old, before Jesus, old Brant, sinful Brant, proud Brant, lust-filled Brant, you know, selfish Brant, uh, you know, put other people down Brant, bully Brant, like, I, before Jesus, like, I'm capable of living very, very degenerate. And at the same time, capable of being extremely grateful for the ways that God is working in my life now. Right? The, 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 the sign on the door has changed, but the operations inside are still improving at a much slower pace. So this hatred that Paul has in his heart towards the sin is actually a testimony to the goodness of the law. In other words, conviction is a sign of regeneration. Come on, conviction, the fact that the, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, knocking on the door of your heart, convicting you of sin, actually is a good thing. When you're broken over your sin, you're so, you are so because the Holy Spirit has, has had his voice heard inside of your heart, has had his voice inside of your life being spoken loud and clear. Don't tune that out. Conviction is a sign of regeneration. So this is what Paul says. He says, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For what I, 
uh, I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I cannot desire what to do what is good. I can't carry it out. I do not do the good that I want to do, for the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. Now, please understand, he's not, he's not shirking responsibility for what he's doing. He's not, he's not you know, abdicating uh, his, even, his action in sin, his responsibility for his sin. All he's doing is just trying to describe, man, I have these competing desires inside of me. There's the law of my mind making me obedient to Christ, and the law of sin that is pulling me. And so he describes this, this, this law at work, verse 21. I find this law. Now, he's not talking about the law of Moses. He's not talking about the law of sin. He's not talking about the law of his mind. Uh, at this point, he's simply just describing uh, a rule of thumb, so to speak, right? A, a consistent principle that he, he sees in his life. I see this law at work within me. It's a general rule. What I want to do good, I find evil is right there with me. When I want to do good, when I want to please God, evil's right there. When I, when I want to be obedient to Jesus, evil is right there. When I'm moving closer to the Lord, evil is right there. When, I've, when I'm actually being empowered by the Holy Spirit to grow in my devotion, evil is right there with me. I actually love how R.C. Sproul said it, the late R.C. Sproul. He said, it seems that whenever we desire to do good, we experience the closest proximity to evil. Sometimes it's in our most dedicated moments, in our most precious hours of devotion to Christ, that the most wicked thoughts will creep into our minds. It's, it's in these moments when you have momentum, new momentum to move closer to Jesus, where sin is raising its ugly head and fighting for survival in your heart. Come on, new levels are toxic to your flesh. Come on, someone say that with me. New levels are toxic to your flesh. New levels, new levels in my relationship with God, new levels of intimacy with God will threaten the place that the sinful desires have within you. The closer you get to God, the more the sin is going like, no! New levels are toxic to your flesh. It hates the presence of righteousness. It hates the presence of purity. It hates the presence of self-control. It hates the presence of holiness. So of course it's right when you start moving closer to God that your fight with sin is actually going to get harder. You can expect that. So Paul goes, he's like, I delight in the law of God, but I see this war inside of me. Wretched man that I am. And, and at first I really wanted to comment theologically on those words, but I, I really think if we did that, we would miss the passion that is pouring out of the pen of Paul here. Here is a man who is grief-stricken over his sinfulness. This is, this is not the posture of an unregenerate sinner. Right? Only the Christian knows the godly remorse and anguish over sin. This is, this is characteristic of a redeemed soul. And I want to say this to you passionately, emotionally, if I can, that it, if you're feeling a growing sense of conviction over your sin, I want to encourage you that that's actually a sign God is very active in your heart, very active in your life. Now is not a time to tune him out or to tone him down. Lean into the voice of conviction because in that motion, you are leaning closer to the forgiving presence of God. 
wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body that is subject to death? Literally, the, the way that the original language paints this word picture, it's like body of death, this bag of dead bones in a sense, which is really striking. Like our whole lives, we're just carrying around this, this body of death, this, this bag of bones that is just on its way to being dead. Inside of us, we are, we are filled with death from the moment we're born. We're born into sin. This, this putrefied, decaying old nature within us just makes us sick and takes us to all kinds of evil places. And the question that just pours out of the heart of Paul is, is there anybody who can deliver? Is there anybody? And, and this is the point. Don't miss this. This is the point. The very crucial point to get to. The point of the convicting the voice of the Holy Spirit that comes from God's word, the point is to bring me to this place of desperation. I throw my hands up and I admit that I'm, I'm all out. I'm all out of energy. I'm all out of strength. I'm all out of ideas. I'm all out of resources. I'm all out of my own cunning Trying to, trying to make myself look good. I'm all out of my own ego. I'm all out of my own power. Frankly, I'm all out of resources. I'm all out of excuses. And it's when you finally reach this point, there will be one dominating theme in your heart, and it is this, that I am so, so grateful that when I came to the end of me. Come on, there was a Savior right there. When I came to the end of myself, my Savior was waiting for me, right with me. Come on, I want to say it with Paul. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, God, that when I was all out of me, you were still there for me. When I finally could see how needy how needy I really was for the energizing and empowering grace of God, I finally saw how sufficient Jesus was to meet all of my needs. I was all out of strength, but thanks be to God that, that he was holding me together. I was all out of ideas, but thanks be to God, Jesus was already making a way. I was all out of energy, but thanks be to God, Jesus was making my life abundant. I was all out of my own cunning, but thanks be to God, the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ was already at work in my life. I was all out of my own ego, but thanks be to God, it was never about me in the first place. I was all out of my own resources, but thanks be to God, I've been made a co-heir with Christ, heir of infinite resources in heaven. I was all out of my own power, but thanks be to God that when I was weak, Jesus was strong. I was all out of my own excuses, but thanks be to God that Jesus took the blame for me. He bore the infinite wrath of God when he died on the cross. He he. Three days later, he rose again to, to make me right with God and give me a new life. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God through Jesus. It is only, it is only Jesus who will bring you to new levels. You have no power to get your, on your own. It's, it's only when you realize that you're, you're all out of you. 
and you go all in for Jesus, that you'll discover the breakthrough that was waiting for you all along. I'm here to declare to you this morning that new levels are for the all out and the all in. See, you're never going to receive the strength or the power to, to overcome sin in your life if you never admit that you have a problem. If you are never wrong, if it was never your fault in the first place, you're never going to get there because this thing, you're just never going to be able to get past. Everyone in your life can see it, but you're not admitting it. And that's the thing that's hindering you from getting to the next level. Freedom starts, new levels are reached when you finally admit that you're broken and that you're empty and you're in need of the only one who can finally make you whole again. New levels are for the all out and the all in. So, so how do I get to that next level? How do, how do I get a little bit further than I've ever been before? How do I take a step towards that next level? I want to give you four ways to take a step towards that next level in your relationship with Jesus to get past some of those stubborn sins. Number one, you've got to name it. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but you've you got to verbally describe what you're struggling with. Give it a name. Call it out. Don't let it hide in obscurity. You are very, very good at convincing yourself that you don't have a problem. I only know this because I look in the mirror every morning. I am that way too. Name it. Number two, confess it. This is, goes beyond just naming it. This says, God, I agree with you about how bad it is and that I'm doing it. I confess it. I, God, I agree with what you say about it. Number three, surrender it. And I don't, I don't just mean let go and let God. Because sometimes it's not that easy. But what I mean is you have to stop trying to defeat this on your own. You're losing. And you will keep losing in your fight against this strong opponent called sin. He's so much stronger than you on your own. In your flesh, you're no match for your own sinful desires. You're no match for the powers of sin and flesh warring within you. You can't do this on your own. You're powerless to win, so surrender. Wait, wait, what, what, am, I, what am I supposed to do? I, I have to like actually admit that this is awful and then give up? Like if I just do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to overwhelm me. It's going to overtake me. It's going to kill me. I need help. I need, a, I need someone to, to save me. And that's the point. That's the point. You need a savior. The law was never meant to give you tools to overcome sin on your own. You can't live right with God and stand against the powers of sin and Satan on your own. In your own power, you're just going to dig a deeper hole. The point of all of this is to help you realize that you're helpless and you're powerless and you're hopeless without a Savior. And it's, it's in this moment of finally realizing, admitting that you've been in the wrong, it's it's in this moment you can finally move in the right direction again. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you will finally discover that Jesus has, has been waiting for you this whole time saying, all right, I know. I know you're exhausted. I know you're, you're done. I know you're all out of energy trying to do this all on your own. But I've been here the whole time. I've been waiting for you the whole time. Why don't you just come with me? I've overcome it all. 
hey, look, that's my trophy case. Look at that. It's everything. I've overcome everything. Why don't you just stay close to me and let's overcome together? Because when you're close to me, you'll see a victory. That's the point, is to run to Jesus. It's one thing to come to the end of yourself, and you have to, but you'll never see victory until, number four, you run to Jesus. You run to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has the power to overcome. In fact, he already has overcome everything you're struggling with. He wants to help you walk in victory. So stay close to him. Stay close to him. New levels of spiritual growth are for the broken and the courageous. Those who truly desire a closer relationship with God, enough to act on what God says, even if it hurts, even if it's painful, even if it's uncomfortable. So today, I'm not asking you to take major actions yet. We'll, we'll get to that later on in this series. But today it may just be that God is knocking at the door of your heart's junk closet. And you're finally ready to admit that it's there and let him in. Just admit it's there. Agree with God about how awful it is and, and let him into it. Because the longer you hold out in your own pride, the longer you're going to feel enslaved to it. See, freedom and hope and rejuvenation start when you admit that you're broken and you're empty and you run to the only one who can finally make you whole again. There's only one who can give you life to the full. Run to Jesus. You need a Savior who's leading you, who's strengthening you, who's protecting you in every single moment of your life because you're not able. And this is a beautiful place to be in, to realize this because it's here where you discover that new levels are for the all-out and the all-in. Stop trying to do this on your own. It might be this morning that you're hearing the voice of God, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm talking to two different groups of people. Number one, maybe you do have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have experienced regeneration, re renewal by the Lord because, because you've been saved. But man, you feel like you're just on your back, just constantly getting beat up by your sinful desires. You keep losing, and you're struggling. The one practical thing I want to invite you to do this morning is to confess it, whether it's to God or to someone else, to confess your helplessness and plead with God for grace to help. Confess your own helplessness and plead with God for grace to help. I love how Hebrews 4.16 says, he says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This isn't a cure-all, this is the first step. But when you take that all-important step, you're opening yourself up to fully receive the love of God and the aid of heaven in your struggle against sin and you will begin to overcome. But you've got to confess and ask for the help of God. Maybe I'm speaking to a different group of people this morning. And I don't know, maybe this whole idea of, of finally seeing victory in your life and, and experiencing the love of a God who, who took your place. You've never actually experienced the power of that before in your life. Maybe you've never actually 
been saved. You've never actually been given new life from God. And I want to invite you this morning to receive the standing offer of God's grace for you. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you live under the delusion that you have to, to make yourself justifiable before God. You, you have to convince God that you're good enough or other people that you're good enough and you're just exhausted and you're tired of trying to do that. The Bible says you cannot be right with God by yourself. Even how hard you try. But it also says all you have to do is receive it. The offer to be made right with God is just available for you. Number one, confess you're a sinner. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just agree with that. I believe. I'm a sinner. Romans 6.23 says, Because I'm a sinner, the wages of sin is death. It's talking about eternal death. It's talking about death and hell forever. Why is that even just? Because the sin was against a just and infinite God. Therefore, a just and infinite penalty is just. It's holy. It's righteous. And each one of us, this preacher included, deserves that. But the rest of the verse says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He died on the cross for you, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Believe that that was for you. And that he rose again from the dead to forgive you of your sin and give you a new life. And if you just put your faith and trust in what Jesus has already done, you'll be saved. You'll be made right with God. You will enter the family of God and, and finally be in a place to receive the full and unreserved love of God and aid of heaven in your struggle against sin. And you too could be an overcomer. So, so I've got to ask you the question, are you finally ready to admit that you're all out? You're all out of strength? You're all out of ideas? You're all out of energy, or your own cunning, or your own ego, your own resources. You're all out of your own power. You're all out of excuses. You finally ready to admit that you're all out? And will today be day one of the rest of your life where you go all in for Jesus? New levels are for the all out and the all in. And when you're all out, and when you're all in, you will be in the place to receive the unreserved love of God towards you and the aid of heaven against your struggle against sin. You will overcome. You will overcome. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to ask you to be very present with us this morning and, and still keep knocking at the door of our hearts. God, don't let up. Because we know that when you're knocking at the door of our hearts, it's at that point that you are working very powerfully in our lives. We pray that you would give us a soft heart to hear you and to act accordingly. Jesus, bring us to a place where we are finally all out and are ready to go all in with you.